This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter. Mixed martial arts enthusiasts, welcome to 2023 and the first edition of the TSN MMA Show of the Year. I have returned from a vacation to the wonderful state of Florida, and I'm now back to bring you all the latest in the world of mixed martial arts and, well, to put it lightly, it's a bit of a dumpster fire. So we're going to walk through these murky waters and talk about everything that's gone down in the last couple of weeks. And I've got a lot of catching up to do, so we should probably get right into it. But I'll start off by saying it was nice to get away, you know, go to Florida with my family, re recharge, spend some significant time with them where we get to, you know, not have to worry about sports and mixed martial arts and coverage and and all of that 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 would have been nice that would have been nice but this is a year-round sport i always say that it's a year-round sport and that's what makes doing this job something that makes vacation time very very stifling i guess is the word that you can use but the good thing about the ufc is they take three weeks in a row off maybe it's four weeks something along those lines in the winter it's the only time of the year they do that so that's the time where I like to get away, you know, spend time with my family and disconnect from my phone and, you know, just try to enjoy, you know, I, I guess a semblance of normalcy for uh, a period of time. But that didn't happen this time around, of course. Uh, a lot of news in the world of mixed martial arts that made it basically impossible for me to uh, really disconnect fully and, you know, embrace some, uh, some time off. But... Say la vie, that's the job that I have, that's the job that I want, that's the job that I love. So, you know, if there are some interruptions here and there, so be it. But unfortunately, these interruptions were not good ones. We had a lot of negative things, to say the least, happen over the last couple of weeks in mixed martial arts. So, why don't we start off with, of course, the big news. Uh, one that I really don't like having to talk about because it's a, an awful situation, an awful incident. And, you know, I'll preface this by saying Dana White's always been good to me. He's given, been very good with his time, very fair with me, uh, very friendly with me. And I appreciate all of that. But it's irrelevant when it comes to this particular topic of, of conversation. I often say this to my significant other. I say that the people that we know and that we're friends with, we know that version of them. There's always another side to people that we don't get to see whether good or bad. I'm not saying that it's always going to be a negative thing. But people's personal lives, if you want to call it that, the time that they spend with their significant others, with their, their kids, when they're behind closed doors and they're not around people that aren't in their family. We don't get to see that side of them. And that's why when a situation like this happens, you have to remember that, that we don't see this side of people. In their lives. We don't get to see them when they're at their worst, I guess is probably the best way to put it. When people are at their worst, when they're not in the public eye, when they're not with um, acquaintances, uh, friends. And when you hear news like this, whether on camera or otherwise, it's always important to remember that these are the kind of things that can happen in other people's lives that we don't know about. It doesn't make it right. Absolutely not. Definitely does not make it right. So why don't we start from the top? 
when it comes to this particular incident, and that's the incident itself. We had a video surface on TMZ where Dana White is at a nightclub in Mexico with his wife, Anne, and it appears that, you know, he, I think it, he's grabbing her wrist or something along those lines. She then slaps him in the face, and he responds by slapping her back twice. Um, and that's what the video shows, and then the video cuts off. Um, a very ugly incident, uh, a terrible incident, really. And something that I learned young in life, probably when I was six or seven years old. I remember it. I can remember it to this day because it's always stuck with me. It was sometime in the lead up to WrestleMania five. I'm going somewhere with this. And I don't know if it was on WWF superstars at the time or something along those lines, but Macho Man slapped Miss Elizabeth. And the reason why I remember this is because, at some, again, I was either six or seven years old, so we're talking 30-plus years ago. I hit a little girl or a girl in my class or something along those lines. I hit somebody. And I've, I can't remember ever being in as much trouble as I was at that time. Because boys don't hit girls. That was a message that I received at that age, six or seven. That's when you learn as a male that we don't hit women. We don't hit girls. That is a lesson that has resonated with me for 30 plus years because I learned it back then. And that's how I was raised. So when this incident happened and I went on social media and I tweeted out something that I thought was obvious, benign, and really goes without saying that men don't hit women, the response was mind-boggling to me. Because for whatever reason, people believed that if a woman hits you, you have the right to hit them back. This was a message that was recurring in my feed. And what I had said was, it's never okay. In that situation, Dana White should have walked away. I don't, you know, whether he had a couple drinks, whether she had a couple drinks, he should have walked away. That's the bottom line here. And I'm sure if you asked him, if he had a mulligan, what would he have done? he'd say that he would have walked away. Because he said it many times. A man should never hit a woman. This is something that was ingrained in me from a young age. And I also put in that tweet that I sent out that if you believe otherwise, if you believe that it is okay for men to hit women, then you're telling on yourself. You're showing that you do not have the moral compass to know that it's not okay to hit women as a, as a male. And uh, that really makes me sad for you, if you believe that that's okay. If you believe that it's okay to lay hands on a, on a woman. You know, I don't know where, what went wrong. I don't know where things went sideways. But you should know that it's not okay. And if you don't know that, I don't know why you are looking for reasons where it's okay. Because that shouldn't even cross our minds. That's what it comes down to. And again, that's something that in the aftermath of the situation that Dana White has said, that it's never okay to hit a woman. And it's an embarrassing situation for him, for his family. And it's an ugly situation. 
and is something that you know really is not a good look of course for for him and really for the sport and we'll get into why it's not a good look for the sport in a little bit when there's been more subsequent stories that have come out uh, not regarding Dana White but you know regarding violence against women that we're going to touch on uh, a little bit later on so in terms of the incident itself it's an ugly incident it's uh what what he did was not right it's not not excusable behavior under any circumstance when a man hits a woman and then I have people on social media moving the goalpost, being like, well, if a woman was chasing your child with a chainsaw and was trying to cut their head off, would you hit them? Like Those people can just go into a dingy basement and, and chill by themselves. Because, again, if you're looking for reasons, you're telling on yourself. Period. Now, in terms of the aftermath of the incident, TMZ basically played t-ball here. They got their hands on the video. I don't know if they paid for it or what. They, they tend to pay for these kind of videos when they get them because it's a content creator for them. But they also do rely on the UFC for a lot of content throughout the year. So what I'm guessing happened is they got this video and rather than just put it out and say Dana White hits his wife at a nightclub, they end up... I, I, I'm guessing, again, I don't know this for a fact... But they give Dana the platform to respond before putting it out. I mean, I do know that for a fact because the video didn't come out, you know, autonomously. It came out packaged with Dana White explaining what happened and giving an apology. And the reason why I say they they played t-ball here is because they were putting the ball on a tee for Dana White. They were looking to give him a a way out and he wouldn't take it. That doesn't make him a hero. It doesn't, you know, let's not... uh, Put lipstick on a pig here. This is still a, a really bad situation, of course, and uh, he's 100% in the wrong. But in my opinion, the way that he responded to it was the right way to respond. You take accountability. You reiterate that it's never okay to lay hands on a woman if you're a man. He did that twice during this short video where he talked about how he's embarrassed, how he has to worry about his family and talk to his family about this situation. The way that he reacted to this video was with accountability, which is really all you can ask for on his end here when it comes to him talking about what happened. And he did bring up the fact that they had a couple drinks, but also mentioned that that's not an excuse, that you don't put your hands on a woman. So... TMZ did their best to give him an escape valve, and he wouldn't take it. And I, you know, if if he deserves any sort of praise for this situation, it's how he responded to those questions, which were like, did you have drinks? And, hey, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what happened. Irrelevant of the circumstances, he put his hand on on his wife, Anne. He's a lot bigger than she is. And it wasn't acceptable behavior. And he acknowledged that. Now, in terms of the the reaction from other parties, from parties that are stakeholders in this situation, I have to say, I mean, I don't, I can't really assess them because they're not there. There's no response. And I think that is a horrible look for both the UFC and Endeavor. And the reason why is because... You have 
the story, right? Like TMZ gave you the story. They gave you the, the heads up. Like if you're in corporate communications and you have the heads up, you've got time. Like that's, that's the, the crazy part here for me is when you know that it's something like this is coming. When you know that it's coming out, that is, again, I'm, I'm talking about this strictly from a corporate standpoint. That is a big win because you have time to put together the response. Now, I don't typically do pro bono work and I don't work in public relations, but I'm going to, I'm going to give a freebie here for the UFC and for Endeavor. If you're the UFC, again, you know the story's coming. You get Dana White on the phone and you say, we're going to put together a statement because the media is going to ask the UFC about this. I mean, uh, do they expect that they're not going to get any inquiries about what happened here? And when somebody responds, when somebody emails you, you have it locked and locked and loaded, ready to go. Hit send. Hit control V, paste, and hit send. Or you insert an image, hit send. And it should say as follows. A statement from Dana White, UFC president. A video recently surfaced that I am not proud of. It is never okay for a man to hit a woman, regardless of the circumstances. I am embarrassed about the situation, and I'm taking time with my family for us to sort through it. The UFC does not condone violence against women, and we will be making a donation to said nonprofit, blank nonprofit, to show that we're committed to standing up against violence against women. I regret my actions and assure you that it will never happen again. You can phrase that however you want. But there's the UFC response. Now let's do Endeavor. You have a day probably, at least 12 hours to craft this. This is your job in corporate communications is to have a response. Recently, a video surfaced of UFC president Dana White um, having you know, an incident between him and his wife, something along those lines. We here at Endeavor value integrity, and we do not condone his actions. We have spoken to Mr. White, and he has assured us that this will not happen again. He and his wife will attend counseling, and he will attend anger management. This is not something that we condone as a corporation, and we regret the situation. We will be making a donation to blank, non-profit, something along the lines with violence against women or domestic violence. And while that may not be substantial enough to make up for this terrible situation, we would like to show that we stand against violence against women. Anything along those lines. I just did pro bono work for you. There it is, right there. You craft the corporate response. And show that this is not the kind of behavior that you want to associate with. And the, the crazy thing to me about this, and I know Variety tackled this, and this was one of the things that immediately struck me when I saw that Endeavor was not going to put out any sort of statement or respond to people in any way. 
Because silence, in my opinion, is complicity. Is complicity. Like, if, you, if you're not going to say anything about it, then what do, you, what do you stand for? And Ari Emanuel has stood for a lot of different causes and a lot of different... I mean, just even recently with the Kanye West situation, with Ye, as he wants to be known as now, spinning all kinds of anti-Semitic tra- uh, tropes on different mediums, platforms. Ari Emanuel spoke out against that and said, we should not be doing, nobody should be doing business with this guy who's, you know, spouting anti-Semitic tropes on different platforms. He spoke, he returned the Saudi Arabian investment in the UFC back to them because he didn't want to be associated with them. And if you want to have the reputation of being a person of integrity, you need to show integrity in these situations when it's in your backyard. So that's what I would, you know, what I think the UFC and Endeavor should have done. And then you've also got TBS, who are airing this Power Slap tournament, which is an entity owned by Dana White, and they pushed back the air date from January 11th to January 18th. That's not a punishment. That's helping them. That's that's giving them more buffer, buying them time, because it gives them until after the first UFC event when. You know, hopefully it returns to normal in the in the minds of, you know, those that are, that get the uh, the train moving. Because the train is always going to leave the station. It's always the next event, and the train just rolls on. So they just pushed it back a week, and that that's not a that's not a punishment. That's just again, that's just buying them more time. They didn't respond to any. Com- I've I, I've reached out to all these entities for comments. The UFC pointed people to a TMZ article, which to me is like, why? That that's, to me is mind-blowing. I mean, you're, you're referring people to an article. Yeah, get a statement ready. And then in terms of the response from TBS, there wasn't any. I, I reached out to them and nothing. And now it's going to air on the 18th. It's going to premiere then. And you know, again, the, the, the train rolls on. So now let's talk about why nothing has happened. Like why there has been no penalty or anything along those lines, no punishment. And people are bringing up race and Ray Rice and other instances in sports. But there's one instance, instance that I want to bring up, which was Gervonta Davis. What was it? Two weeks ago was arrested for an act of domestic violence, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm going to just double check because I want to make sure that I've got this right. And he has been caught on video. Uh, I believe it was at some sort of charity all-star game. Grabbing his his partner at the time. And he has a history. Of domestic violence. He was arrested in Fort Lauderdale. On December the 27th. On one account of battery causing bodily harm. And he has also had other instances of of aggravated assault. Um, Both against men and against women. But there was a video of him grabbing the mother of his child at a charity basketball game in 2020. So this is a guy that has a history of domestic violence and uh, violence against women. And he boxed last this past weekend. Like, he didn't get suspended. 
So we need to draw a line here between professional sports and combat sports. Because these are two different things. People say, well, what if an owner of a team did this? What if a commissioner did this? They have people that they're accountable to. They have team owners. They have board of governors, board of directors, associations, players associations, referees associations, all kinds of different people that they are accountable to. In this situation, who's Dana White accountable to? Well, he's accountable to the UFC, but he runs the UFC. So is he going to punish himself? He could take a, he could step away and say, I'm taking some time off to you know, sort this situation out. He could do that. But nobody in the UFC, they don't have a board of directors that's going to vote him out. That's going to vote on his status as the president of the UFC. So let's like you throw that one out right, right now. Really, the only people he's accountable to are the board of directors for Endeavor. And also this, this, the stockholders. But at the end of the day, the Class A stocks are held by the, those on the board of directors of Endeavor. So they have overwhelming voting rights. Like they can't hold a vote where like what's going to happen with Dana White and, and then like the state, the stockholders can vote him out. It's like that can't happen. Not going to happen. And it wouldn't. And it's not possible because they have the, the Class A shares. So when you look at what Endeavor can do, they have options. I mean, they can punish him or penalize him however they see fit, I would imagine. But at the same time, the UFC have been a big cash cow for Endeavor. Like their profits, I believe most of their profits come from the UFC and the operations of the UFC. And the value of the UFC since they've acquired it has gone up a lot. I believe it's probably valued now. I think they bought it for, was it $3 billion? I'm going to look this up. I think they bought it for $3 billion. And I'd say it's probably worth 10 now. Like they're printing money. Now, how they're going about printing money, I mean, that's... It was $4.3 billion. I'd say it's worth probably 10, at least 10 now. I'm sure if you asked somebody in the UFC they'd probably say that it's in that range. So are you going to punish the person running the, the part of your company that's making the most money? They can. But they didn't even write a response. They didn't even write a, a boilerplate reply to the situation. Like, it blows my mind. It really does. But that's why nothing's happened. Because there aren't that many people that he's accountable to. There aren't that many people that can hold him to account in a way that a Ray Rice would be held to account, where he's on a team, they can cut him. Where if you're a UFC fighter, you can get cut from the promotion. They can point at the code of conduct. and I mean, Luis Pena, for example, is not, not with the UFC anymore. He got arrested. And actually was acquitted, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Doesn't mean he didn't do it, but regardless, like he, he was cut for, for those reasons because he was getting arrested. And we've seen that in sports... Not all athletes are, or people are created equal. Like a lot of people have more rope. And in this situation, um, people are wondering why nothing's happened. And hopefully that explains it. I mean, there, there are just people are held to different standards based on what they do in sport and in the business world. Like it's, it extends beyond sports. And Dana White's an important part of 
what Endeavor is doing. And if you look at the stock price, it's basically the same today as it was when that news, like when, when it hit uh, before it went down after that the video came out. So it's not like Endeavor's bleeding money here. Like it's back, you know, they're, they're back to where they were prior to New Year's Eve. Or in the ballpark. You know, give or take 50 cents on the share. Something along those lines. So the stock's gone back up. So if you're wondering why nothing's happened, I mean, that should explain it, right? Does it mean that something should happen? Well, that's, that's the other question. What should happen? Like if, if you were to say this is what should happen, and the problem with it is I don't think that there's anything, I don't think there's a right answer here. Like, they're not going to say, he can't really be suspended. He can take a leave. It's, it's, he can't be voted out. So what should happen? Should he, should he walk away? Uh, what I think should happen, and I pointed this out when I was talking about the, the lack of a corporate response, is that he should step away for a little bit and undergo anger management and counseling. Or something along those lines. But if, if, they, if that's what they decided, people would say that's not really enough. And while he's shown contrition for his actions, it's still, I think, is leaving a bad taste in people's mouth that nothing has happened. I mean, to me, the part that, I, that baffles me is that there's been no response, period. Like, not even email, like, email replies or, like, again, a statement or anything like that. Like, that's the part, to me, that is mind-boggling. But in terms of what should happen, that I don't know. Like, that's above my pay grade. I don't know. And then when you talk about, like, again, who he's accountable to, like, the media can cry out for things or, or come up with ideas, suggestions for what should happen. He's always said he doesn't listen to the media. He doesn't care what the media has to say. He's taken every opportunity to knock the media down a peg. So then I look at Sarah Spain, and she's on social media, and people are saying, why haven't you responded to this? She says, well, I'm on vacation. I deserve a vacation. I'm not on TV and radio right now, and I don't owe you a response. And she's right. And what is the media response going to do anyways? I mean, the, the way that the media responded, first and foremost, has not been great. But at the same time, if you go and look at every major MMA platform, they've certainly touched on it. Like, if I know ESPN's released articles. I, I think people are expecting their writers to come out and, and say some things. And Jeff Wagenheim, of course, put out a tweet saying that there's an edict. There's, well, he clarified and said there's not really an edict not to say anything incendiary about Dana White. But he believes it's kind of, I don't know, if he believes it's like an unspoken thing or something along those lines. But that tweet certainly didn't look great. So, you know, but people, again, are making the point, like, why are the big shows not talking about this? But they kind of are. Like, they are talking about it. And a lot of people say that, you know, it should be the same kind of response to Ray Rice and all of that. But, again, I point to Gervonta Davis, who just competed this past weekend. And was it three weeks? I think it was December 26th or something. Was arrested for... Domestic violence. So, I mean, again, professional sports is different from combat sports. I think we have to we have to acknowledge that, because 
people are saying, you know, like, it, is this racially motivated that he's getting a pass and Ray Rice didn't? I mean, I, I think Javante Davis got a pass. He got to box this past weekend. He's, he's setting up a super fight, probably the, one of the biggest fights in boxing in 2023 between him and Ryan Garcia. And that's all people are talking about now with him. Like, so if people want to make some sort of false equivalency here with Ray Rice in football, where he's got owners and he's got um, a players association, and he's got all of these different entities that he has to answer to. Maybe look at Gervonta Davis as an example. Because they went after Ray Rice. But Gervonta Davis went on to box like a week and a half after he was arrested. Nobody said boo. Like nobody said pull him from the card. There was no like were people saying you go oh, you got to pull him from the card, you got to you got to cancel the event. I didn't see any of that outcry. Gervonta Davis is one of the biggest boxers in the world right now in terms of popularity. So I, again, I think I think people conflating combat sports and professional sports need to take a little bit of a step back. Now, to make matters worse in terms of this particular incident is we have had a couple of really ugly incidents take place in the MMA world in or around the same time. First off, Phil Baroni is currently in custody in Mexico and is accused of uh, murdering his partner um, in Mexico. And he could face, I think it was something along the lines of like 30 to 50 years in jail if he's found guilty. Kane Carrizosa, a former UFC fighter, is being accused of, of beating a female to the point where she had seizures. Anthony Rocco Martin was arrested in December, late December as well. You know, he was arrested for something along the lines of, um, I don't know if it was resisting arrest or assaulting a police officer, something along those lines. But the incident started because there was a 911 call placed from his either his or a woman's residence where they had previously had calls about domestic disturbances. So they went and responded to a 911 call with a hang-up and found a, a woman there who said that she was trying to leave. Now these three incidents happening in and around the same time, to me, shows that there's a problem when it comes to domestic violence and combat sports, not to mention, again, the Gervonta Davis situation. And it's highly problematic. And I'm not really sure what they can do, aside from maybe mandatory... And, and I should also mention, none of these three that I just mentioned are currently in the UFC. They're all former UFC fighters. And an important thing to recognize as well is when you're in a combat sport and you're getting hit in the head, it impacts your frontal lobe, which can have an effect on your judgment and can uh, have impact on impulse control as well. And that can be a, you know, something that can come along from head trauma over the years. And these three incidents show that there needs to be a, uh, more of a stand against this sort of behavior. And I think that the UFC have an opportunity here to lead that charge. 
if they are able to learn from all of these different things that have happened in recent weeks. And these are the weeks where there's no event. And that's where the incidents outside of the cage really enter the forefront because the media continues. Like we, we still need to cover the sport. We still need to be on top of all of the news. And if that's what the news is and that's all happening in and around the same time, you know, is this something that's been happening over the, throughout the year? But because there's events, it gets kind of buried a little bit. And that's exactly what we need to avoid. Now, before we continue to our next subject, a little bit of an update here. Dana White has done a, an impromptu media availability during the media day for this weekend's events. Sat down, spoke a little bit, took questions. So I would be remiss if I put the podcast out before it's done with all of this new information. So I'm going to walk through this a little bit. And, uh, you know, Dana White does deserve credit for doing this. For He didn't need to sit in front of the media and answer questions and be account- accountable. He's already, of course, said there's no excuses for what he's done. And he continued to reiterate that point very importantly today. Now, a couple of things that came from this. It doesn't look like he's going to get any sort of uh, punishment of any sort. Um, I personally don't know if he's wrong. Like, would 30 days away or 60 days away from the company be, you know, is that a punishment for him? And, you know, what does being away from the company mean? He's not going to be in his office. Still be controlling everything from, from his house, I'm sure, from wherever he is. You know, he wants to make sure that he's overseeing everything in the UFC. And if people didn't want him to be overseeing things in the UFC, something would have happened. So, like I mentioned earlier, I, I didn't expect there to be anything that would happen. And I, I laid that out as to why I believe that was the case. And uh, now we have it basically officially. He's come out and said that... Uh, he will not be facing any sort of additional punishment on top of, as he basically said, being branded as somebody who hits women for the rest of his days. You know, that's something that he's going to have to uh, wear with shame and embarrassment. And he's acknowledged that and also reiterated several times that people should not be defending him. That defending him in this case is wrong. He was wrong with what he did. He admits he goes, I did it. I have to live with it. And nobody should be defending me in in this circumstance. Which I think is an important thing for him to reiterate. Because it seems like people are still, even after this media availability, are still quick to jump to his defense. So a couple of excerpts from this. Well, a couple of things to, to to take away. One thing that I thought was particularly interesting was he had the video that TMZ had before TMZ published it. Like, he had sent it to his kids, he had mentioned. So TMZ really gave him, you know, a lot of leeway on this situation, the ability to really get in front of it, not just on a corporate level, but on a personal level. So he should be thankful for that. That's not, not everybody is given that kind of luxury in this sort of circumstance. Typically, TMZ gets a video, they publish it right away, um, after they get it, whatever, their lawyers probably have to approve it or whatever, but they, they want to get optimal clicks. They want people to check it out. And one thing I forgot to mention earlier that I, I have been kicking myself all day, and I'm glad that I now get the chance to, to 
mention it before we get into some of these quotes. When TMZ initially posted this story, it said, Dana White gets physical with his wife on New Year's Eve. How are people supposed to read that? Like, when I saw it, I, th- I thought, okay, well, maybe he's, like, showing PDAs, like public displays of affection. You know, a lot of people have, have public displays of affection during New Year's Eve. Like, it's a common thing. It's on TV. You know, if you watch any of those New Year's specials, it's people kissing at New Year's. That's what you're supposed to do. I didn't think anything of it when I read just the, 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 the headline. So they botched that one big time. I was like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> he's getting physical with his wife on New Year's Eve. No, not that kind of physical. So anyways, he, uh, he says that he has spoken with uh, Ari Emanuel of Endeavor. He's spoken to people at ESPN, and nobody's happy with it. And he says basically his punishment is he has to walk around. Here's the quote. I have to walk around for however long I live, and this is how I'm labeled now. My other punishment is that a lot of people, whether it be media, fighters, friends, acquaintances who had respect for me, might not have respect for me now. There's a lot of things that I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life that are way more of a punishment than, what, I take a 30-day or 60-day absence? That's not a punishment to me. The punishment is that I did it, and now I have to deal with it. I mean, fair enough, but... I, you know, I still think that... something is missing here. And it's not that he should be punished necessarily, but it feels like they need to show some integrity when it comes to this particular subject matter, when it comes to domestic violence. Now, whether it's donating, whether it's, you know, giving out the hotline on one of their events, you know, something that shows that they, that that, that he's going to back up what he's saying, that he says is never okay. So if it's never okay, there should be something that reiterates this point. And the UFC, again, have an opportunity here. I, I hate to call it an opportunity because it's based on... Uh, an act that is, you know, really inexcusable. But they have an opportunity here to to say, hey, listen, for years I've been saying this, and then I went and did it. But I want to put my money where my mouth is here, and I want to do something that's going to show that we are against this in every form and fashion. So he spoke about that. Um, here's another one that I, I think is interesting. Is that's why there was no official statement. And he said, I did an interview on TMZ. What else was there to say? You could literally write an official statement for my TMZ interview. So why don't you? That's what they should have done. If, like, if, if, if you could take that quote and write statement from Dana White so that when people email the UFC and say, hey, do you guys have a statement on this? What, you know, what, do, you, what do you say about this? They don't say, go read a TMZ article. Like... Has that ever been in the playbook of any sort of corporate communications? Yeah, go go read go read TMZ. I mean, if you go to TMZ, you're gonna find like pictures of I don't know Jay Z's new car. Like they you can't just say go to you know you can link people to the article, but I mean TMZ is not like Reuters. <laughs> We're not talking about a source of information here where you go to get like public statements. That was confusing to me as well. Because you could literally, he goes, you could literally write an official statement for my TNC interview. Yeah, you could. But the, why, why not? You should do that. <laughs> like if that's at the bare minimum. Even if Endeavor had that, like if they, if they emailed and said, here's a statement. 
And you, they do took Dana White's words from that interview, and you had a statement from Ari Emanuel saying that, you know, this is unacceptable, this is indefensible. Like, you gotta at least show you have some sort of moral compass here. And, you know, he was asked about people blaming his wife for hitting him first. And he said, there's only one side of this. It's my side. There's never a reason or an excuse for what happened on New Year's Eve to ever happen, period. And like I said, I'm 53. I'll be 54 this summer, and I've never done it. And then he was asked about his quote from 2014 about Ray Rice. You don't bounce back from putting your hands on a woman. And he said, you don't. You don't ever bounce back from this. For the rest of my life, however long that is, people are going to label me that. I did it. You don't bounce back from it. And when asked if there were any sort of financial ramifications for the company, like lost sponsors or anything like that, he said, I don't think so, but it's still early too, so we'll see. And uh, that's pretty much what he said. So again, like I, I think that him getting in front of it as much as possible is the right thing to do here. Because if you're going to let the stench of that incident linger over fight weeks and subsequent fight weeks, like he's, you know, you can call Dana White whatever you'd like to call him, but he's not, he's, you know, he's not certainly not an idiot. He certainly knows that this is a story that won't go away for a while. But the more that he speaks openly about it and takes accountability and says that nobody should be defending him and that people that he's, you know, he understands that people are saying what they're saying about him. That's the way that you're going to slow this thing down. If you're from a corporate standpoint. Because to his credit, he's not running from it. He's not saying, oh, you know, we, we drank too much and I don't remember what happened. Or He's not saying anything like that. So in terms of how they're handling this, you know, I think that the, he's doing things the right way in this instance. I do think that from a corporate standpoint, it could have been handled a little bit differently. That's, again, an opinion. So that's where we leave this and we'll see what else comes of it, you know. A lot of athletes did media day today. I haven't heard what Sean Strickland said yet. I, I worry about whatever that is. I haven't had a chance to watch the full availability yet. I'm sure he's going to go off the rail. Like, when you're going to replace Kelvin Gastelum during, while this whole situation is going on, that's the guy? I mean, like, I know they probably need somebody, but... Oh, man. Like, this is the guy you want in front of media during this week? Again, I don't think that Sean Strickland is necessarily the best choice in that regard. Now, in terms of the fight itself, I'm sure it'll be a fun fight. But I did get a chance to, of course, watch and, uh, you know, Dana White's availability. And if you'd like to read some of the quotes from that, they are available on my social media. So let's move on. We always have the uh, those who say stick to sports and all of that when it comes to politics. A couple other situations that have arisen in recent weeks. Um, the death of, the mysterious death, I should say, of Abdul uh, Karim Edelov, who was the right-hand man and I believe the head of security for some time to uh, Ramazan Khadirov, uh, Khadirov, I believe it's pronounced actually, um, in Chechnya. Which, like, that story disappeared quickly. Nobody's really talking about that. And we've seen how cozy certain athletes have gotten with Ramazan Khadirov. And I believe that athletes should stop going and making visits there if they can. And when I say if they can, it's like if you're a Chechen athlete and you offend the dictator of your country, like there are ramifications, potentially. 
So in those situations, you know, we kind of ha- you have to be a little understanding of the worry that can arise from, you know, sticking up for yourself and your family in, in those circumstances. But when you have American fighters going over there because they're getting paid, and I never want to take money out of the pockets of the fighters, but it's important to know where that money is coming from and the reason why it is being disseminated. And then you also have unrest in Brazil, and the UFC has a big card in Brazil. Not this weekend, but the following weekend is their first pay-per-view in Brazil since the pandemic. And there's a lot of civil unrest right now stemming from the election, um, namely the loss of the election for uh, Jair Bolsonaro, who is the former, I believe is Prime Minister of Brazil. And he's currently apparently in Orlando, Florida, or in the Orlando area, at the vacation home of Jose Aldo, which, I mean, that's just strange. But all of these different dominoes could have an impact on this pay-per-view as well. So you have a lot of Bolsonaro supporters, I guess, storming the Supreme Court in Brazil. And right now, again, there's there's real civil unrest. And the, the weird thing is how that ties into mixed martial arts. But uh, it's just strange. But these are all kind of, again, uh, just a, a laundry list of ugly incidents in the MMA world that have taken place over the last couple of weeks. And um, it's difficult to see because I love this sport. And, uh, you know, any student of martial arts will, will tell you that it's important to know when to walk away. When you have the skills and the, the tools to defend yourself. You don't necessarily need to use them unless it becomes an urgent, urgent situation. You need to know when to walk away. It's part of the martial arts code. And seeing all of these incidents surrounding the sport that I, uh, I dedicate my life to covering. This is what I do. 365 days a year, it seems, because I was trying to, again, take, take a little bit of a break, but you know, it's 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 hard to be looked at as the ugly twin of professional sports. The, the when you look at that that Simpsons episode, was Bart and was it Milo that lived in in the attic? Like I feel like we're we're Milo or Hugo. Sorry, Hugo. We're like the twin that is hidden away in the attic that's fed fish heads. That's how it feels sometimes when covering mixed martial arts. And I don't want it to be that way. And I'm sure nobody wants it to be that way. I want the sport to grow to unlimited boundaries. Like I, I want to see fighters making the same amount of money as other professional athletes. I want to see the sport lead on Sports Center. And I want to see, especially in Canada, I want to see this, the growth of the sport. Because I, I think that there's a lot of beauty in this sport. And I think that the competition is not just gratuitous violence. I think that there's a lot of strategy that goes into it. I think that there's a lot of training. There's a lot of, People are dedicating their, their every waking moment to becoming better as an athlete, just like other athletes in other sports. So I don't want this to be the Hugo. I want this to be the Bart Simpson. I want this sport to thrive. And when we see incidents like this, it it continues to hurt the sport. 
and um, makes it for me to cover. You know, I I always think that there are people that you know their their beat in journalism is covering like evil dictatorships or brutal injustices. Like that's that's difficult to do. We're here covering a sport, and I always have to remind myself that like this is a sport. There there is going to be ugliness in every sport. But it's our duty to find the beauty and to, to share that beauty with other people. The beauty of competition. The beauty of victory. The beauty of learning in defeat. These are the kind of things that I want to see for this sport. Now, one thing that I believe is going to set the sport into a positive direction for the athletes is Jake Paul signing with the PFL. Now, I've been a very vocal critic of Jake Paul in the past. But two things... Well, first off, respect isn't due, it's earned. And he's earned my respect on two fronts. The first is boxing Anderson Silva, because I didn't think he was going to do that. I thought Anderson Silva was going was to beat him. Even though Anderson Silva was 47 years old, I still thought that Anderson Silva, again, one of the most prolific strikers in MMA history, I thought that he was going to beat Jake and take all the air out of his balloon. And he very well could have, but Jake took that fight. So I respect him for that. And I respect him for trying, saying that he's going to try mixed martial arts. Now, again, we, I, I, I would like to see him walk to the, to the smart cage and compete. And I think that he will, ultimately. But this is a very significant signing for mixed martial arts. And the reason why it's significant is because this PFL Superfight division is only going to grow with big signings. Like, Jake Paul's not going to fight on every single one of these super fight division pay-per-views. The PFL is right now in the market for signing big talent. I don't really know the, the full contract status of Francis Ngannou, but they could sign him. They could sign Nate Diaz. They can sign all of these fighters that become free agents. And they have a solid carrot to dangle in front of them, which is the million-dollar tournament, 50-50 stake, for those that are fighting in main events of pay-per-views, 50-50 equity in the profits. To me, this is a massive step for fighters looking for an alternative that's going to make them a good amount of money. Like you look at a guy like Shane Burgos, who I'm sure the UFC would have loved to keep around. He's in his prime. He's putting on great fights every time out. And he wanted to stay with the UFC. And he just said, the money that the PFL is offering me, I couldn't turn it down. He just said it's, it was too good to pass up. And I think that there's going to be situations now with athletes where if the PFL can offer them this kind of opportunity, the potential to win a million dollars in their tournament, the potential to have a 50-50 equity split with them for pay-per-views. These are new things that we haven't seen in the sport before. What they're doing is innovative, and it's smart, and it's creative. Now, can they compete with the UFC? That I don't think they can. Not right now. I don't think that there's a, an MMA entity right now in the world that can compete with the UFC. I think that there's an absolute chasm between the UFC and whoever the, the next biggest promotion is. I think everybody's fighting for second place right now. But I do think that... What's the, uh, the expression? The rising tide raises all boats? 
or raises all ships. I think there's a rising tide right now in MMA. We're seeing million-dollar tournaments in both Bellator and in the PFL. And also, I should mention, a million-dollar open-weight Muay Thai tournament in one championship was just announced as well. So they're starting to put big money out front. If these entities can continue to raise venture capital and continue to offer fighters big money, that's where we're going to start seeing some really high-level competition outside of the UFC. And I believe Endeavor is still paying off debts in terms of being able to fully secure the UFC. So they're at a time right now where I don't think they're interested in paying a million dollars to fighters outside of their top five to ten fighters on their roster. I think they, they are happy with where they're at. The ratings are consistent. The gates are sky high. They're making a ton of money year over year. Every single year, they're increasing their revenue. I think they're happy with that. But I think that once the athletes start to look for alternatives, that's when we're going to start seeing great competition across the board. And I think that's good for the fighters. I think it's good for the fans. I think it's good for the UFC. Because they're going to have to keep themselves honest and keep their competition honest. But right now, we're in a world where content is king. Sports, live sports, is doing big business right now for television networks, for um, betting entities. Live sports is where it's at. It's the one thing that's cord-cutting proof. People want to watch it live and enjoy the thrill of competition. So as we see the growth of the PFL, Bellator, one championship, it's only going to be good for, for everyone. It's going to be expensive, though. I mean, like, again, we got $50 pay-per-views now from the, the PFL. The UFC just raised their pay-per-view prices in the U.S. Not going to be a cheap date. But it's going to be good for everybody involved that the, that the level of competition is stepping up. Now, in terms of Jake Paul himself and realistic opponents for Jake Paul, like they got to do a similar approach to how he approached boxing. They got to put him in there with people that have limited skill in this terrain. Whether it's a, a boxer, a pro boxer that comes over to MMA, whether it's another, you know, celebrity type name, like a Dylan Dennis or something along those lines. Like Dylan Dennis will be able to use his jujitsu, which I think Jake Paul would have some trouble with. Although I know Dylan Dennis hasn't really fought in a long time. And was supposed to box against KSI, and I don't know what happened there. Maybe, and I think he's still under Bellator contract, but, um, or he might not be, I can't remember. But we need opponents for Jake Paul that are 0-0, 1-0, 0-2. People in mixed martial arts that he can, you know, that he can beat, potentially. No, I'm not talking about, like, layups, but I'm talking about people that he can beat that have a name. And that's going to be the challenge for the PFL. Who are you going to put Jake Paul against that isn't going to embarrass him? Because, I mean, you look at Clarissa Shields. They signed her to compete in MMA. She's one of the greatest female boxers of all time. And she looked like a fish out of water. And you look at the fight in Bellator. It was Jolliton versus um, Hardy. 
Heather Hardy. Two boxers, it became like a sloppy grappling fest. It was awful. Like, that's one of the worst fights I've ever seen in MMA. They put two boxers in there against each other, and they were grappling with each other. No disrespect to them. I mean, I respect everybody who enters the cage. But that fight, like, if you want to go back and watch a fight that, like, was not easy on the eyes in terms of technique, go back and watch that one. Or don't. I implore you. Another big story, of course, in mixed martial arts, Khabib Nurmagomedov uh, taking a step back from coaching. The reason I say taking a step back is, you know, a lot of people say he's retiring from coaching, that he is going to focus entirely on his family. From what I I understand, that's not necessarily entirely true, but he's definitely going to be taking a step back. I would not be surprised to see him in the corner of Islam Makhachev in February, to be perfectly honest. But at the same time, we look at what Habib has done in this sport in the last, what is it, eight years or whenever he started in the UFC? What a pedigree. Like, what an unbelievable list of achievements. Because not only does he go in, retire undefeated, become champion, fights in the, the biggest pay-per-view in UFC history. He then goes on to coach a, not his disciple to a championship and coach his Coach Uzman Nurmagomedov to a championship in Bellator. Does this all in, what, two years? It was still in the middle of the pandemic when he fought his last fight. Like, what a legacy this guy has in MMA. This is like Bill Russell type stuff where he's playing and then coaching and winning championships on both levels. This is historical stuff. So Khabib taking a step back from coaching, I mean, he's for absolutely has earned that, and we should all be thankful for the contribution he's had on the sport. He's just building up a stable of guys that are potentially future champions. We've got Umar Nurmagomedov competing this weekend. It's just an absolute masterclass on mixed martial arts, competing and coaching. I mean, he had to be the the coach of the year last year, no? I mean, how many of his guys lost? I give you probably two, maybe one, two losses on the, in the major promotions. Maybe? I can't even think of any off the top of my head. I can't think of a single loss. Did like Ulan Bekov lose last year? I don't even know. Like, I can't think of anybody. This guy's a, unbelievable what this guy's been able to achieve in, in this sport. So, Khabib, I mean, happy trails, man. Take all the time you, you'd like. I mean, you're, you've cemented your legacy. There's not much more to do. Retiring undefeated. And then, basically, like, immediately coaching his disciple to defeat a red-hot Charles Oliveira in a, what seemed like a one-sided fight. Like, I don't know what else Khabib has to prove to anybody. He could walk away, spend all the time with his family from now until eternity. I mean, it's, it's just, wow. Let's just take a moment to take a step back and look at that achievement in the sport. Because how many fighters have successfully transitioned to coaching, period? I would point to James Krause, but obviously right now with his situation, it's not uh, a, a shining example. But in terms of fighters that were like high-level UFC fighters, 
Like, look at any... Has there been any former champion in the UFC that's, like, turned into uh, a great coach? Mike Brown was a champion in the WEC. He's become a, a great coach. But there aren't a whole lot of names that you can point to that say, you know, and say, like, especially how quickly he became a great head coach, filling in his father's footsteps, working with Javier Mendez. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know if you can find another example of a fighter like Habib that was able to retire undefeated at the highest level as a champion and then coach at almost like almost as high of a level. I mean, maybe even as high of a level as when he competed. It's pretty remarkable. Um, another, of course, terrible story in mixed martial arts is the, uh, the death of Victoria Lee at age 18. Um, there's been no cause of death reported, but it's irrelevant because... Man, like, there's nothing sadder than having to put to rest somebody that has limitless potential going forward. Like, this is going to be tough to talk about for me because, like, the one thing I noticed was she was born in 2004. Like, when she was born, I had already lived a longer life than she was able to live. It's just horrible when I think about it that way. Like, the amount of potential she had in life, and any 18-year-old has, like, just entering adulthood. Like, it's just, it's unspeakably sad. There's just, it's sad in general. Like, even if she wasn't a mixed martial artist, like, there's nothing sadder than the death of a child. Or somebody, I mean, young, anybody who's young, really, it's just like, it's just unspeakably sad. And I don't have a lot of experience, thankfully, in my life with those younger than me passing away. I did have one friend when I was uh, probably university age who was my best friend as a, as a young child who, who died in a car accident. I think about him all the time. Like I, I, At that point in our lives, I hadn't really seen him in like maybe a year or two, but I think about him all the time to this day. I look up, there's pictures of him on the internet. I go and look up pictures of him. I like, because I just find it so sad. I, like I, I, I almost lament that I'm here and that he's gone because like he should be enjoying his life right now with a family. And I have another friend who uh, lost a child that was a day or two old. Like they, they brought him home and he, he died. Um, I had like a heart um, heart condition that wasn't detected. And uh, I've never cried that bad much at a funeral in my life than at his. Like my grandfather was my hero. Like I loved my grandfather. And, his, you know, he had to, he lost all of his younger siblings except for one in the Holocaust. And like, I can't imagine the, the immense pain he had to go through through his entire life knowing that happened. But when he passed away at 85, you know, I went to his funeral. I thought about, you know, he lived a, a meaningful life. You know, he, he raised four daughters um, that all went on to do great things in life and like has lots of grandchildren. Like that's, that's a life realized. When I went to my friend's, son's funeral like that's to me was like a life unrealized and I, it just it tore me apart so the death of victoria lee to me is just unspeakably sad and um especially somebody with that kind of potential uh coming from the family lineage in one championship with her brother christian sister angela she had competed for them and it looked like she had just had a bright future ahead of her so to see that kind of a story is just it's unspeakably heartbreaking and i 
I mean, I don't think her family will hear this, but if they do, like I, I send, I send my love and my best. It's just like, I, I don't have words to console you. It's a horrible, horrible thing that you're going through. Um, and, and everybody in the one championship family that knew Victoria or anybody who trained under her in Hawaii, I just, I, my, my deepest condolences really, there's not nothing more I can say that's going to take away from this sort of pain. It's just, it's, it's unspeakably sad. All right. Uh, no easy way to transition to, I guess, current events inside of the cage in the world of mixed martial arts, but, uh, let's do that. Um, again, uh, having to transition from that very sad story. Um, Aljamain Sterling was rumored to be facing, uh, Henry Cejudo at the March pay-per-view. I believe that's UFC 285, which I believe tickets go on sale this week. So they're going to have to figure something out quickly if that is the case, but it's in uh, Las Vegas the first weekend in March. And, uh, it appears like that's not going to happen. Aljamain Sterling has come out and said he has a, a torn ligament, I believe it was, or something along those lines. Um, but has an injury that it, he doesn't think he's going to be ready. And I'll point to my colleague Ant Walker had a tweet here that to me kind of says it all. Because I, I had retweeted the MMA Mania story that he was uh, had suffered an injury and was not going to be able to compete in all likelihood. And all the responses, oh, he's soft and blah, blah, blah. He's, you know, not a, he's a paper champion and all this stuff. Ant Walker, again, my colleague, tweeted out, like, everybody was so mad that TJ Dillashaw didn't come into the fight against Aljamain Sterling at 100% that he fought with the, the separated shoulder. But yet everybody wants Aljamain Sterling to fight under similar circumstances where he's not 100%. Like, everybody's calling him out. Which, like, which is it? You got to pick a lane here. Because the... The thing that people don't realize about being a UFC champion is how much more lucrative it is for that person's career and and really their long-term living conditions. I mean, there's no other way to put it. When you're not a champion, like how much do you think Aljo was making before he fought for a championship? He was probably making 60 and 60. Now, let's say he's in this pay-per-view in March and it's headlined by John Jones and blank. Like we're talking 600,000 buys, 700,000 buys that he would get a cut of if he's in the co-main event of that card. If you're not the champion, you don't get any of that. You get nothing. So if you are Aljamain Sterling, you've got to protect what's yours and fight under your absolute best winning conditions. You have to be as healthy as you can going into a fight like this. He already cuts a ton of weight. That might impact his performance. And I know there's the thing with Piotr Jan. With the disqualification. That should be in the rearview mirror. He, he, came and beat, he came and beat Piotr Jan clean the next time out. Earned the decision. And has since beat up TJ Dillashaw. And again, TJ Dillashaw is injured. And people are like, oh, that shouldn't count as a win. It's not Aljamain's fault. And this fight was recent. Like I'm starting to get real Tyron Woodley vibes here from people that have these ridiculous expectations of, of the champions to compete under the terms and conditions of the audience, of the fan, rather than on their own terms, and risk it all. Risk the championship bonuses. Risk the ability to go and do signings and things like that with UFC champion attached to your name. 
it's incredible to me that people don't understand this. That people expect these athletes to operate under circumstances that are sub-optimal for them. It does not make any sense to me. So for everybody ripping Aljamain Sterling, take a step back and think about how much a win in his next championship bout will impact his legacy, his long-term earning potential. All of those things that you can only achieve when you have a championship. To beat a guy like Triple C, a former champion in two divisions and a former Olympic champion, for Aljamain Sterling, that would be massive. And then to face Sean O'Malley, a fan favorite. Do big buys, potentially. Think about it from his perspective, because you're not. If you believe that he should fight whenever you believe he should fight, or whenever the UFC believes he should fight, or whatever, under suboptimal circumstances, I mean, you want to cheat this guy out of money? That's like That's what it is. And everybody said the same thing about Tyron Woodley. Oh, this guy, he's inactive and he, he, he won't take, he only wants the big fights. Well, let's get a reality check here, shall we? During the time Tyron Woodley was champion, he was the most active champion in the UFC. Like, you can go look it up. You think I'm making it up? I'm pulling this out of my hat? He was the most active champion in the UFC from the day he won the title to the day he lost the title to Kamaru Usman. And he has this reputation of, oh, he's picky-choosy with fights and he's, he's, he's inactive. Look it up. And everybody says, oh, he only wants to fight the big guys. He never got to fight the big guys. He fought Darren Till, who at the time was an up-and-comer. He fought Wonderboy twice. Both in, well, one was a co-main. One was supposed to be, one, the one that was a main, I believe, was supposed to be a co-main, if I'm not mistaken. Like, he fought Damian Maya, then fought Usman, who was an up-and-comer. And he didn't get any big fights. He asked for them all the time. He wanted to fight GSP, and he wanted to fight uh, Nick Diaz, Nate Diaz. I don't remember. One of the Diaz brothers. He was always looking to maximize his earning potential. And what did he do? He was the co-main event on some really big cards. Like, I believe it was, the, it was definitely the co-main on the MSG card, which I'm sure earned him a fortune. But everybody was like, oh, Tyron, he does, you know, doesn't fight. Doesn't want to fight. He's not active. You're just drinking the Kool-Aid here. Like, go and look it up. And people are doing the same thing to Aljamain Sterling. And it's ridiculous. People did it to Demetrius Johnson for, you know, because he was like, didn't want to fight on certain dates. He was a very active champion and was considered the pound-for-pound best fighter in the sport at the time. I see people do it to Amanda Nunes. These fighters can earn so much more money if they're able to continue to hold the championship. So to try to get under Aljamain's skin or insult him, or what are you doing? Let the guy recover. Let the, don't you want to see the best fight possible? Like if he has an injury that could come up during a fight, I think it was a torn bicep actually, I think I'm remembering now. If there was an injury that popped up during the fight and he lost that way, people would be like, oh, he came in with an injury, he cheated us. Let the guy compete at 100%. All right, AJ McKee re-ups with Bellator. This is a pretty big story as well because, well, I mean, AJ McKee losing to Pitbull in the uh, in the rematch certainly took away a lot of his, his earning potential. 
But now he's fighting at lightweight. He said he would go back to 45 to face Patricio again. But that he's looking ahead. He wants to be a two-division champion uh, in Bellator. I'm eager to see what he does. But I think that AJ McKee, to me, him and Pitbull really, are basically like, that's, that's Bellator right there. Like these are their homegrown talents that became some of the best in the sport. I think a lot of people would love to see both of them compete in the UFC. But at the same time, the homegrown talent for Bellator, I think they've done a good job with a lot of these different fighters. And I think that that's kind of what their mantra is now. You've seen them sign people years before they're ready to compete. You've seen them sign a lot of these NCAA big talents like Ed Ruth, um, Aaron Pico, uh, uh, Fortune, the, you know, the list goes on. And build these guys up and try to... You see Johnny Eblen's a champion now. Like They're building these guys up the right way and, and trying not to be... I think there was a time where they were trying to buy out a lot of like UFC retreads that were past their prime. I think that right now they're focused on homegrown talent. I think that's the way to do it. I think the PFL is in a much better... Um, in terms of the way they run their business, is a lot more conducive to signing good UFC talent that have either been released or are um, free agents. I think that the framework of their business is more conducive to that. And I think Bellator has done a good job. Like, I mean, look at Usman Nuragomedov. Like, these are champions that they're building. So to see AJ McKee re-up with them, I think is a very promising sign for Bellator. And I think it's... Uh, depending on what he gets paid. But I think that for AJ McKee, it's good for him to continue to build. I think that had he beaten Pitbull twice and was still the 45 champion, and then if he wanted to maybe move to 55 and defend 45 from time to time, like I think that would have been massive for him. It would have been, I think a lot of people would be clamoring for him to be in the UFC. But it's crazy what one loss will do to you, especially in a close fight. One loss can just derail the train. Um, speaking of Bellator, I, I watched their, uh, woke up very early and watched the co-promotion with Ryzen. And, uh, you know, there were all these exciting finishes before the, the cross-promotion fights and the cross-promotion fights were all, uh, all decisions, but still an exciting night of fights uh, nonetheless. And nice to get acquainted with a lot of Ryzen's talent because I don't often have that much time to watch that promotion. And I mean, Bellator ran the table, they swept them, so. Uh, you know, that's not a great look for Ryzen, but at the same time, I think it's, uh, you know, good for Ryzen to get the North American exposure and good for Bellator to get the exposure in Japan. The biggest fight featuring a Canadian in some time is coming up soon. Do you want to guess what it is? Well, if you guessed Arjun Buller against Malakin in one championship, which is booked for March 24th, uh, that, that's the correct answer. Because we haven't had... A big Canadian fight. I mean, I know Arjun won the championship, but this is um, like Malakin has so much hype behind him right now after that win over uh, De Ritter. So uh, you know, I, I think that this is a, a big fight for Canadian MMA right now. We don't have. I think like maybe Felicia Spencer versus Amanda Nunes was the biggest fight featuring a Canadian that we've had in some time. And I mean, Felicia moved to Florida when she was like three or four. Still represented Canada. Like I, I'm not trying to take anything away from her, but this is a fight that, you know, a lot of Canadian fans should try to go out of their way to watch and support Arjun Buller. 
you know, all these people are talking about how he's ducking people and all this stuff. And now he's facing the guy who probably has the most hype in one championship after the way that he absolutely dominated Rainier de Ritter. So this is a fight that I think we need to uh, pay attention to. And final news story before we preview this weekend's event pertains to this weekend's event. Kelvin Gastelum has some sort of face injury and is unable to face Nasruddin Imabov. So who steps in? The man who headlined the final card of 2022, one half of that card, will now be one half of the first card of 2023, Sean Strickland against Nasruddin Imabov. I don't know why I did that big build, like as if, as if you're going to be surprised. I mean, you should probably know this by now if you're listening to this show. But now uh, the first card of the year takes place at the UFC Apex. We've got Strickland against Imavov. And uh, I, think that's a, I think that's a solid fight. Um, I think that Strickland is a, a tough puzzle to solve. And I also don't know if we've really realized the potential yet of Imavov, who's ranked number 12. You got Strickland 7, Imavov 12. Neither guy has fought Israel, but I mean, Israel's not the champion right now. Sean Strickland, of course, lost to Alex Pereira. But uh, I think this is going to be a big one to see how good Imavov is. Imavov is just 26 years of age, has looked great thus far in the UFC, has some, have, you know, really solid wins. And I think that he's uh, an interesting matchup. I mean, his last win was against Joaquin Buckley, a uh, close decision. Uh, although I think that Imavov won that fight. I, like, I don't think it was close. That It was like, you know, where you'd say, no, Buckley won that fight. It was a clear win for Imavov, but a, a fairly close fight. He uh, got the finish over Edmund Shabazian back in November of 2021. Win over Ian Heinish. And his lone loss in the UFC is to Phil Haas. It was a majority decision uh, about two years ago. And he has one loss back in 2017 on the regional scene. But this is a guy that seems to be growing quickly uh, under the tutelage of Fernand Lopez in France. And uh, I'm eager to see how he looks because I think that this is a a really tough... I mean, Sean Strickland is a tough matchup for anybody if Sean fights under his best winning conditions. I I don't think he did that against Alex Pereira. But um, I do think that he is capable of beating a lot of the middleweight division with his kind of tricky style, his durability... And his cardio. And and output. I love the co-main event. You got Dan Ige against Damon Jackson. That is a, a great, great co-main event. Damon Jackson has a sneaky record. Like 22-4-1. Like I feel I've, like I've seen Damon Jackson lose more than four times, but it just hasn't happened. Like it's This is an underrated fighter. And uh, Dan Ige desperately needs a win. Uh, I think he's lost three in a row, but against like the toughest of tough competition. His losses are Mozart Evloev, Josh Emmett, who's fighting for the interim championship um, next month, and uh, the Korean Zombie. And that's coming off that massive win over Gavin Tucker back in March of 2021. So he needs a win in the worst way. And you got Damon Jackson, who is on something of a roll. He had that phenomenal win over Pat Sabatini. Um, I believe he had a family tragedy leading. I think his dad had just passed away leading up to that fight, and he fought a tremendous performance. 
Um, and his wins prior to that, David Argueta, who's also on this card, um, who will be back at... Uh, actually, I think this is a short notice opponent. So I don't know if Argueta is actually fighting at his natural weight class. It's 135. But uh, win over Camuela Kirk, win over Charles Rosa, and uh, his lone loss in his return to the UFC was against Ilya Topuria. His lone loss in the PFL was to Movlet Khaibulayev, who was the eventual tournament winner, um, I believe the following year. And his lone loss on the region, his lone loss on the regional scene, Yancy Medeiros and Kevin Aguilar. So this guy's only losing to top-level opponents. And has wins over uh, Mirsad Bektik, like I mentioned, Charles Rosa. And the Pat Sabatini win, I think, is the biggest win of his career, especially in the fashion in which he did that. So uh, kudos to Damon Jackson and his coach, Saif Sayud. Puna Soriano, also on the card, a close friend of Dan Ige's. And uh, I know they train at the same gym. Both native Hawaiians. I think they grew up together as well. He's taking on Roman Kopilov, who uh, is coming off a, a solid win in his own right. Uh, fight with some pretty big stakes in the women's bantamweight division. you got Ketlin Vieira taking on Raquel Pennington. I think a lot of people thought Vieira had already earned the opportunity to fight for the title next. If she's able to beat somebody as tough as Rocky P, I think we're going to uh, see her become the front runner to fight for the championship at 135 pounds. And we've got Umar Nurmagomedov, who I mentioned earlier in the show, 15-0, taking on Raoni Barcelos. Really tough competition for him. Uh, Barcelos steps in, I believe, on short notice uh, for this one, which, I mean, it's already tough to be facing. Oh, maybe not, actually. No, sorry, not short notice. My mistake. So he's going to be facing uh, Raoni Barcelos. Uh, Barcelos is a really tough out. This is going to be a difficult matchup for uh, Umar Nurmagomedov, in my opinion, but also one that he can really make a statement by winning. Uh, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan taking on Claudio Rivero. You've got uh, Mateusz Rebeski taking on Nick Fiore. Like, there are some fighters on this card I, like, I, I don't know much about. <laughs> I think they're making their debuts. Uh, you got Mateusz Mendonca, or uh, I think it's Mendonca, because it's got the uh, little uh, squiggly line underneath the C, against Javid Basharad. That should be a great fight. Uh, Alan Nascimento against Carlos Hernandez. You've got uh, Daniel Argueta, who I mentioned, taking on Nick Aguirre. So that is going to be at 45. Um, but I know Ar- Argueta's future is probably going to be at bantamweight. This is one I'm really excited about. The return of Jimmy the Brick Flick against Charles Johnson. Jimmy Flick is a guy that I love watching. He's just always looking for finishes. He's so creative, so crafty. Very excited for that one. And to open the night, you've got Priscilla Cachuera taking on Sejara Eubanks at flyweight. Uh, another interesting fight to start the UFC's 2023 calendar. So that's what we've got on the horizon right now for the UFC. Now, right now, we in Ontario are still unable to wager on the UFC. They, uh, they have discontinued wagering. Um, from what I'm told, there are talks that are going on. Like they're, they're trying to figure the situation out. They're not... Uh, I, don't, I don't figure this to be a long-term issue. But it seems like the parties involved in this situation are putting their heads together to find a uh, solution here. So nothing to update you on right now. There's Nothing has changed um, in terms of the legality of betting. Well, not legality, but I mean the availability of UFC wagering in Ontario. Nothing has changed on that front, but uh, it seems like 
it's headed in the right direction. So that's probably the best way that I can put that. Um, so time will tell. Don't know. Don't have an answer as to when. Um, but hopefully some positive news on that front uh, coming soon if you are interested in wagering on uh, on the UFC. So that, that's what we got right now. That's, there you have it. Um, appreciate you tuning in to this podcast. It's a little bit on the longer side in terms of the going solo, talking about all the issues style of show that we, uh, we have in front of you here. I will be putting out an interview edition of the TSN MMA show likely tomorrow um, as I've got some interviews lined up with some of those on the uh, UFC 283 card in Brazil. So thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it. You can find all of my work at www.aaron.report. Feel free to check that out when you are able to. Appreciate those who do. You can find... uh, all of the UFC and MMA news at tsn.ca slash UFC. I want to thank those of you who listen to the show week in, week out. If you do have a moment to rate and review the show, give us a five-star rating, write something nice about the show. That always goes a long way, and I really do appreciate that. So thank you for those who have done that, and uh, thank you to those who are planning on doing that. So until next week, or at least later in the week for the interview edition, be kind, be well, and be enthusiastic. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.